Listener discretion is advised. This episode deals with a deeply sensitive and distressing topic, child molestation. We want to make sure that you, our listeners, are aware of the nature of this content. If you or someone you know has been affected by child molestation, this episode may be triggering. Please remember that it's okay to skip this episode if you believe it could be harmful to your well-being. Your mental and emotional health is our priority. If you're in distress or need support, consider reaching out to a mental health professional, therapist, or a trusted individual. You are not alone and there is help available. For those who choose to listen, we'll approach this topic with the utmost sensitivity and care. We aim to provide information and support for survivors and to foster a better understanding of this difficult issue. I'm Leela Ree. And I'm Nick B. Listen, we're just two single girls from the City of Roses discussing all things love, lust, and perception. And roses are a symbol of all things beautiful about love. But as you know, love can get a little dirty. So we're here to talk about it. Dirty Roses Podcast starts now. Hey, I'm Leela Ree. And I'm Nick B. And welcome to Dirty Roses Podcast. I feel like I'm... <laughs> oddly chipper right now and chipper this, we're gonna be talking about a very serious topic today and i feel like i'm gonna have to like dial it back for a second maybe not yet maybe we should keep we'll see how it goes okay we're gonna do this naturally and organically <laughs> yes. okay um we are joined today by my dear wonderful amazing beautiful cousin sherry who is a life i would say like a life coach a peer mentor yes. um an addiction support person she's a community advocate uh all like all things a spiritual guru like i tell you every time i talk to her on the phone she takes me to church and i don't even go to church but i'd be feeling like i gotta give her an offering or Ooh. something like she needs a pasta collection <laughs> plate like it happens every single time, every time. I, I call her pasta sherry um but welcome miss Sherilyn harry newly married <laughs> We can't call her Sherry Thank now because her last name is going to be Harry. She's going to be Sherry Harry. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I had to share that joke because I love it. She's like, really, Lee? Every time. <laughs> but congratulations on your wedding. And we are going to kind of uh, tap into that in a little bit when we talk about how we got there. Um, okay. But every episode, mm -hmm. uh, Nick B, and we start with a story yes. or a scenario that kind of guides us to how we got here, right? Mm -hmm. So we have a guy who suffered really bad depression, right? He had um, really traumatic experience as a child, um, drug-addicted parents, alcoholism, uh, parent mom was in and out of prison a lot, um, homelessness, you know, lived in abandoned houses, like really justice involved drug addict type situations going on saw a lot of things that he shouldn't have seen as a youth that really impacted how he um dealt with life as an adult in his relationship however due to not having addressed those trauma issues it impacted how his relationships went and how he treated his partner and how all those things happened to where their relationship no longer lasted because he had not addressed those situations and issues that had really shaped how he treats people. And so we talk about how today, how childhood trauma impacts relationships, impacts how you navigate as an adult. I know Nick B and I have shared a lot of things um, between ourselves about just our experiences growing up and how that has kind of, yeah. you know, geared our thoughts and our processes. And we process a lot of things together over the phone. Like, <laughs> well, maybe did this happen? This did. I don't know. But also in talking about this topic, Miss Sherry, um, 
we know that you are writing a book and it stems from your childhood experiences. And um, I don't know, I, Nick B, did you want to add anything like I don't ha actually I don't think I have any childhood trauma and I say think I say think because um, I recognize that especially with childhood trauma there's a lot of things that people naturally block mm. um, and I so I really I really try right. to think back and the reason why it's questionable for me is because I have a sibling who we grew up in the same household had the mm. same experiences had the same opportunities um, from you know day one all the way through graduating high school we mm -hmm. lived the same uh opportunities right and yet we had two incredibly different childhoods which i didn't realize that his, his perception of our childhood is very different than mine mm -hmm. and we're only two two and a half years apart from each other so when i say i don't think i have any childhood trauma um i really think about my brother who has a lot of childhood trauma mm. uh and it's it's always been interesting to me that i don't recognize the same things he does and so i'm like well am i blocking anything right. did i miss something right. that maybe he is still processing mm -hmm. and that my version of getting through it was to block it somehow yeah so i don't know maybe we can define what trauma actually is because i feel like whenever you hear the word trauma you automatically go to like these extreme scenarios of like abuse neglect right. all these things but that doesn't necessarily to me doesn't always have to be like super extreme right. so i don't recognize any of those with me right i recognize those yeah. with him but not right me, right so. so what is what do you consider trauma well you said the key word recognized and um so childhood trauma basically in layman's terms is just an experience that one has had that affects you know the way that you live the way that you navigate through life and so sometimes we don't always recognize it or it's not um it's not shown in the same way, you know, because like you said, the way that you process things and the way that your brother process things are different. Sometimes you process things later. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they immediately affect you. And so I call them our little eyes. When I write in my book, I talk about little Sherry and what she saw in her little eyes, opposed to the way that I see them now with more mature eyes. Mm -hmm. And so his little eyes saw something different than your eyes saw. Yes. He saw the same exact thing, but his mental processed it different. And so he's able to say, you know, he may be more intricate about the way that he details things, Yeah, you know, because mom could have just said, you know, you guys get in the house, but to him, mom was yelling her voice was projected and you could just say uh, mom's personality was passionate mm -hmm. you know so you didn't see it the way that he saw um aggressive right. you saw passion he saw aggressive right so it's fair. just about the way that you see it and then it shows up later in your adulthood mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. That's accurate. And yeah. I can totally relate to that, too. That's why I say that um, another good friend of mine would, pointed out to me that Lee and I could be sitting in the same room mm -hmm. looking at the same photo on a wall. But if she's sitting closer to that photo than I am, her perspective 
is different right. and that goes to show the example you gave of mom yelling hey come get in the house where maybe uh, my brother who is two and a half years younger for mm. example as a younger mind a younger version of him saw that as aggressive or angry mm. and me being slightly older and also a female that has you know like guys and girls process things a little differently right right um, maybe i'm seeing that as passionate so that's an absolute good example of mm -hmm. how two people could have two different childhood experiences growing up in the same right right environment so it's funny you mentioned eyes because i would definitely see things differently than you would. yes you would <laughs> we can't see okay guys <laughs> run into the picture and knock it off the wall yes um okay so so tell us about your childhood and like how what give us you know a little bit of glimpse into your life and what brought you to the point of where you're at now okay my childhood was my um my childhood trauma was different like i i hear a lot of stories and because i do work in the recovery community you have a lot of people that you know my mom was on drugs and my mom was prostituting well that wasn't my story i grew up in church every sunday every sunday morning sunday school like non-negotiable that was just the way we were routine to to do Sunday night, Wednesday, you know, uh, Bible study. And so church was our thing. Um, but I was molested by my stepfather. Mm. And so where it was like everything looked great on the outside because our house was the house that um, everybody came to to eat. We're from down south, we're from Louisiana. So my mom cooked by the kettles every day. We always had my, <laughs> so, you know, like one of my friends said, you guys always have pastries. Cause my mom, every day we had pies and cakes and cookies. And it's like, oh, you don't like banana pudding? We got, you know, chocolate cake. Oh, you don't like chocolate cake either? We got sweet potato pie. That was like on a Wednesday. That was just the way we ate, you know? So it looked wholesome and good but at night like I, my book is called creaky floors so at night is when creaky floors set in and so what that did for me is being abused i feel like it gave me strength it gave me that that piece of childhood trauma gave me strength to go through um so many different facets of, of life that i had to experience and i call them experiences because there's something that i went through it had a beginning there was a middle piece to it and then everything has an end date yeah. some end dates you know some people's dash in the middle is longer mine might have been here somebody else's is here somebody else just never looks like they see the light of day but everything has an end date so it where it got me was i i gave birth at 19 to a daughter with cerebral palsy that the doctors told me would never walk, talk, read, or write. I was, um, I got married because I was pregnant. So I was newly married, pregnant with this baby that they said would never walk, talk, read, or write. I gave birth to her a year after that, when she was about a year old, um, my husband died in a car accident. So I'm stuck, I'm pregnant with another baby. I have a one-year-old with cerebral palsy and I'm a widow before I'm even 21 years old. My goodness. And so I look at it as now that the strength that I gained 
through being abused? Because one of the things that I told myself was everybody was dealt a hand in life. Some people are dealt a good hand, you know? Yours wasn't so good, so you better play it to the best of your ability. Now, because of that, I made a lot of bad choices in my 20s, mm -hmm. just what I looked at as surviving. And my my dad, I'm a daddy's girl, my, my biological dad was a pimp and a dope dealer. So I go from who I spent a lot of time with. So I go from this church house to this dope house. And that's my life. So everything in life was extreme for me. So I created this extreme personality. I love you or I hate you. Either I'll die for you or I'll kill you. <laughs> so it was like- Very black go, and white. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna delete that part. <laughs> She's not going to kill anybody. For the record, <laughs> please no one do a welfare check on her. God she is, is good. Okay. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> so I just, you know, but I have this extreme personality because that was what I was accustomed to from as far back as I remember. My mom and my dad divorced when I was nine years old. So I had no recollection of them being together. And so... And growing up, I was always in survival mode. And my dad gave me everything that he had to give me, which was street. Mm -hmm. So his whole thing was, you know, um, let's see, I got to use better words. You don't <laughs> let a man. <laughs> let me not direct quote him, she says. Right, clean right. clean this up a little in my head. You right. get... <laughs> she said she don't want no one coming back being like, you can't be my parent mentor anymore. <laughs> radio version, radio version. So. You but know, you can say um, you want, cousin. <laughs> okay. Well, his words to me were, um, were, um, <laughs> do I want to say them? Okay. We'll, we'll say this. His words to me was sometimes he would use the word nigga. That, those were his better words. So he was like, you give a nigga what he gives you. You be like a bank. Don't let him withdraw anything he hasn't deposited oh, into you. So whether message. that meant to, to money, to love, to time, to anything. So what it did was it put me on the defense mm. always. He taught me like to scope out a room when you walk in it. Mm. And I'm thinking as a little kid, like I don't, I'm not in any of those situations, but he was giving me everything that he had to give me. And all of the time it wasn't good. And, you know, but as a kid, it was like, my dad, this is my, you know, he's, He's my safe space. Yeah. But yeah. the truth of the matter is I was in drug houses. I was in um, houses where there were women walking around with, with nothing but panties and high heels on. You know, back in the day, they had the beads that would separate the doorways and the, the, <laughs> the red <same>. light. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And so I went from literally from this house of where God is good to this other house where we go in here to pick up this money or we go in here and I'm watching my dad like beat down people and like it was just very very extreme so question because that does seem very extreme so how how did that work where you you know you grew up with your mom in a very churchy household but she was married to a pimp and then you you expressed that you know with the, the stepfather like how did that how did that work being in a, in a churchy household, but they had such contradicting things right. happening? seems like her choice in men contradicted her belief. Right. 
absolutely in both cases um for my mom because then you you had this man in your house that abused me that um I felt honestly because I'd seen the lifestyle that my dad lived I felt almost pimped out mm. like you your kids your because I have other siblings that are younger that that's their biological dad so I felt like for them to go to private schools for um for all of our bills to be paid for everything to to look good I pay the price mm. and so it was very damaging as a kid because my dad was teaching me to think 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 at all times you know, and those thoughts probably wouldn't have come to my mind had I not experienced my dad's lifestyle. Mm. But what it did was it just taught me, it also sent a message to me to protect everybody else because my dad didn't find out until I was 25. So did your, and maybe I missed this, um, when you were spending this time with your father, was your mom still around? Yes, my mom, my mom is still alive. My dad is deceased. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, did your mom, she didn't have any concern with letting you spend this type of time with your father when she knew that this was his lifestyle? Mm -hmm. Did she, was she trying to protect you from any of this? No. Oh. Did, no. Being a woman of the church and of God, she recognized what he was doing, right? I'm pretty sure it wasn't a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so the time that you spent with your father, was it just simply because, Hey, this is your weekend. Uh, go have fun with your pops. I'll see you when he, he can get me whenever he wanted my, my mom and my dad. I never saw them like feud about me. Even if I was like on punishment, which I was on a lot with my mom, cause I was a pretty bad adolescent, but I never was, there was never a restriction from my dad. My dad could always come he could just pop up and get me he could call and come and get me and no it was like that's your dad so you have the freedom to go thinking back do you think that there was no resistance because she may have been scared of him to resist no 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 there was no fear because when they broke up he wasn't a, he wasn't in that lifestyle okay. oh okay um so they i don't even know why they broke up but well yeah i do she said he wouldn't work. Uh, my mother is a very eight to five. Mm. And so even though and clearly she, he was not, not at all. <laughs> he was not he was more of a nine, so, eight, 9 PM to 3 AM kind of guy. Right. right. There was never any abuse. She, she told, she did tell me that, that he never hit her. He never threatened her. He was kind to her, but he just didn't work. Mm -hmm. And that was like a, a non-negotiable for her. So. Yeah. I'm curious to to know. So you said that he was not in that lifestyle when he was with your mom. So yes. as a grown up, he decided to take on a new career as <laughs> a, new career a pimp. Path. It's kind of like you know, like how they yeah say they met in college. Huh? They met at Southern. They oh. met at Southern University. So he's an educated man too, and he chose later in life to seek out a profession that usually the younger guys dabble in when they have less guidance. But he kind of he chose that he didn't fall into that well okay i would have to go deep into his life because he um i wouldn't really call him an educated man back then 
in down south because he played football. Mm-hmm. He was just kind of pushed through the system. Okay, got it. So my dad struggled with some things also, and so um, you know, like educationally, and so for him, that was his way of surviving. He didn't feel like I could go get a job that would be um, sufficient enough to take care of a family. And so unlike my mom, me and my dad talked a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, I could give you more of his insight mm-hmm. than I could give you what my mom was was mm-hmm. thinking. I, you know, it's just speculation. But yeah, so my dad was surviving in his eyes. Gotcha. That was his way of surviving. Okay. So you shared that you didn't tell your dad about um, the childhood issues until your 20s. Is that um, when did you tell your mom? I told my mom when I was 12. Okay. And how did that go? Um, she found a letter that I was writing to run away. And from there, um, she addressed me. And she asked me, was it true? I said, yes. She said she would deal with it. It was like a two minute conversation Mm -hmm. okay I'll deal with it and then we never talked about it again did she continue to see your stepfather after she knew about this they were yeah they were married living together they yeah nothing changed she ended their relationship no did his behavior change Mm -hmm. well it had changed by the time I was probably it I, I was abused from like maybe the age of four or five till I was about 10 and then at that time I threatened to tell my dad and then that was when it stopped interesting so I don't know if you're able to dive into his thought process do you really think it stopped uh did okay when it stopped it was only because you threatened to tell your dad not because you were getting older and he was no longer interested in a younger version of you he was more worried about being exposed. Do you, had you not made those comments to him, do you think this would have still gone on? No, I believe it would have gone on. And because I choose not to share other people's story mm-hmm. in my household, I, I can't go into why, but yeah. it, it would have gone on. Okay. Understood. So you said that you had, um, you got into a trouble lot and I know some of the stories about your trouble, trouble behaviors. Um, but do you think that this is a direct correlation to what had happened to you or was it um, other reasons why you behaved badly at school or? <laughs> it was my response. I was okay. angry. I was like, yeah. if I'm not happy, nobody's happy. Mm. And that was what I literally was thinking in my mind. So like, I did. I'll give you just a small example. If I was, you know, on restriction from the phone, I remember one time I cut every phone line in the house Back when because we had I'm cords. like, when we had cords. We <laughs> had cords then, and so I I'm can't like, talk. Nobody can talk. That was exactly what I said. Oh. If I ain't talking, ain't nobody talking. Oh wow. Oh, and I know that like a lot of kids when when they struggle to communicate things that are going on with them or there's something's happening i know that they tend to act out so is this was this was your your defiance was a way of kind of letting it be known that something was wrong right well i had already let it be known that something was wrong okay something was wrong and um i told you and nobody is doing nothing about it because even though it had stopped for me i think i wanted him gone 
And I didn't realize how much I wanted him gone until I told. And then he was still there after I told. And then that was my, my reality was you don't love him. She does. Mm. Wow. That is deep. That is deep. <laughs> so I guess going into your adult years, how did your, the path that your life was going, you know, from childhood to the getting in trouble, how did that impact you with relationships, with friends, with family, with mm -hmm. men, and even with your children? How did that impact everything? Um, different for each one of those. For with men, I didn't trust men because I had been, I had been abused. I, um, I'd been touched by other men. Mm. Um, I, with my dad, I saw the way he treated women. So a part of me felt like never give them what they crave for. And they'll always give me what I crave for, which was money. Because by then I was on a money path and I was like, get your bag, get your money by any means necessary. And so that, you know, that's what it was for me. It was always a game. It was never, and I remember liking somebody a lot one time and, and like really pulling back because I knew that like, I just felt like emotions didn't work. At what point did you actually start your healing process? Um, I would say in my thirties, I, I, um, I started getting counseling and it was because of my children. I was a mother and I wanted, um, I wanted my kids to feel a certain way about me. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to love me. I wanted them to, um, to be open. I wanted the relationship that I didn't have with the mother. I had it with my dad, but I didn't have that like a mother daughter. And because I had girls, I knew what men could do. So my thing was, don't have men in your house, make, make, um, make your house a safe haven for your, for your girls. Mm -hmm. And for, I mean, I, I would have visitors, but it would never be like to the extreme measures of them interacting, you know, closely with my children, especially when they were young, I felt like it was my job to protect them. And this was their house. That's how I looked at it. This house belongs to them. They should be able to be as free as they want to be in this space. And so what I, um, and they told me some things. I've been always open and honest with them. Um, and there were, there, were, there were pivotal moments that caused major changes, you know, different things. Like I remember one day um, I was on my way to do something pretty mean and my daughters heard me on the phone. We'll just say that. Oh and um <laughs> not you play premeditating and your daughters knew about it <laughs> and one of the words they said to me when i hung up the phone was dang you get mad too easy Ooh. and so it made me think i dropped what i had in my hand Ooh. and i was just like was it a weapon <laughs> oh my goodness okay I <laughs> <laughs> we gonna move past that. She said, "You right. know this story. Stop setting me up here." <laughs> right. 
And so I just, I was like, okay, I don't want them to feel that way about me. And then there was a day that I had, um, I was trying to, I was trying, I was thinking about doing better and I was leaving some things alone in life. And so I had struggled to keep my lights on that day. And so they had turned them off in the morning when I came home from dropping my kids off and I'm like, oh no. So I'm hustling all day. I got these lights turned on. Um, and I don't know if you guys know, like back, yeah, I'm giving my age away. I'm 54. So, you <laughs> know, tell. So tell. back then I was um, like, you could pay them right there on site when they come to turn them off. Now I think they'll, I don't know. I don't get my lights turned off now. So I don't know how they do it, but we glowed up. <laughs> right. So, so, um, so I, I didn't have the money when the guy came and turned them off, but you know, he said, you know, if you pay within a certain amount of time, I can get them back on today. So we had been out and about after school with them just waiting. So like, I don't want them to come in to lights off. Mm -hmm. So when they came in, they were like flipping on the lights, opening the refrigerator, just doing their, their normal routine. And I looked and I said, they really trust me. These little people really mm -hmm. depend on me. Yeah. And so that was what caused me to like come out of a lot of things that I was doing because I didn't want to be separated from them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, um, what did the healing journey, like, what did you do to actually heal from specific things that had happened to you or that you started with therapy and that was really hard. It was hard because I'm, I've always been open and honest. And I always tell people therapy means nothing if you're not going to tell people the truth. Mm -hmm. If you're going to lie in therapy, you might as well not go. So I was open and my therapist began to ask me questions that for me to ask myself. And when I began to look at me and I began to see like that, one of the things that I tell my, my I used to tell my girls is that you cannot help the way somebody makes you feel. They can piss you off. They can make you, you know, my feelings are hurt. I'm sad. I'm a little down or depressed, but I'm 100% responsible for and in control of the way that I react or respond to yeah. those feelings. Mm -hmm. And so when I began to take accountability for, for my life, it didn't matter how I got there. You know, when you're kids, you say, oh, that little girl has issues because mm -hmm. when you're a grown woman, nobody cares about why. They just see issues. issues and they avoid you. They don't want anything to do with you mm -hmm. and they deal with you accordingly. And so I began to take accountability like in my thirties and it took some years because I had all that anger built up. And so I was still, you know, snap back real quick and it took me a while. And then I, I found, you know, I always knew God, but then I began to see like, how some things, when I began to trust God, how my life with, was coming, like coming full circle. It hadn't come, but it was coming full circle for me. And so I could see like, oh, the purpose for me going through losing um, a husband or my daughter having disabilities is because I began to work with young ladies that had disabilities. I opened up my home and started a girls group home and I, I took care of disabled girls. 
And so, um, and then I had girls with behavioral issues and they began to give me like those hard cases. And so I could see why I needed to experience that because I knew what the feeling was. Yeah. I could relate. Interesting. What are, um, I guess, what are some tools that people could use when they're experiencing trauma or have experienced trauma? Like what are some tools, techniques, tips that would help them move past it and begin their healing process? It's just to know that it's an experience and we all experience trauma in different forms. Some of it, you know, um, whether it's neglect, whether it's abuse, whether it's, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen in our childhood. Maybe as a teenager, my parents divorce, and so life changes for me. Maybe my best friend dies, and so life changes for me. I don't have that connection with anybody else. Maybe I get heartbroken from a boyfriend that I think was my world at 18. And so life changes then because now I have these emotions and I was with this person that I thought would be my forever partner, you know, cause how we are when we're young, yep. you know, we like that when we old. <laughs> so, you know, but life changes or maybe I'm, maybe life has been great. I married my childhood sweetheart or my high school sweetheart. And then we divorce later, or I can't have children or I have too many children and it's hard to take care of them. You know, trauma just looks different for everybody and we experience it at different phases of our life. So just being able to identify that this is an experience yeah. and that's hard to get to because first of all, you got to know that like almost somebody almost has to tell you that it's an experience, baby, and you're going to go through it. You're not going to live here. Yeah. So that was the, the main thing is not allowing all of the experiences I've had, whether that be from um, I was in a car wreck when I was 16, reconstruction to the left side of my mm. face, car flips upside down on fire. Oh um, I had to be pulled out at one o'clock in the morning. So, you know, just like on the freeway. So all of these things that I've gone through, I feel like have given me strength. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just an add on for a little more strength. I didn't know it when I was in it. Mm -hmm. It was painful. And at the time it made me a little more angry about why is life giving me all this? Right. But once I decided that I don't like the way that I feel, mm -hmm. I don't like being angry. I don't like being sad. I don't like always asking why did this happen? I never really said why me, but I would just be like, like something else again, you know? Mm -hmm. And one of my prayers when I was younger was to not have emotions. I didn't want to be that cry baby that cried about everything because I was going through so much. And then it's amazing that when I was in my thirties, I asked God to give me emotions because I wanted to care about people. Yeah. So it was a lot of things. It's like identifying that there's a problem. And then, you know, um, looking at the fact that it has affected my life and it's affecting the way that I'm living. And then I am in control of changing the narrative of my life, no matter how hard it is. I went through a phase where I 
didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have insurance. I had a record. I had a warrant for my arrest. I, like you name it, I had it. Yeah. And so I felt like in that moment I was in a pit and I had two babies. And I was like, you know, it, what else are you going to give me? I've dealt with death. I've dealt with, you know, all of these different things. What, what else is going to happen to me? And I made a conscious decision that it may take a while, but I started paying restitution. I started, you know, like we have to be accountable. Like I know sometimes like even for those of us that are in church, we feel like, oh, God is going to do it. And he is going to do it. But we have to start, you know, we have to be, even in, even be, even when we give our life to Christ, it's confess. That's the first thing you do. Confess, believe, and receive. So it's like, I have to do some things in life. I have to admit that I was wrong. Mm. There were a lot of mistakes that, that life gave me, but there were a lot of self-inflicted actions also. So once I became accountable and I began to say, look, I don't want life to be like this. There's got to be a better way of living. Then I began to chip away at some of those things. Okay. You can get it. You can get your stuff expunged. Okay. You can pay those tickets or okay. You can pay restitution. And you know, then it's like, now I can say like, okay, I can apply for any job I want. Yeah. I can, I can, you can pull me over police you can, you know, <laughs> my because my background is clean. Um, so now, now being recently married, when you met your now husband, you guys were courting, dating seriously, engaged. Um, did you struggle with trusting him at any point of, of your relationship? I didn't struggle in the relationship. I struggled in the beginning with myself because mind you, I, I was coming out of, I had been two years out of a bad relationship, not bad to where there was abuse. Cause I made that decision a long time ago. Was nobody going to put their hands on me or, or physically abuse me in any way, but accepting things that I, um, I knew that I was worthy of more but I didn't really know that I would ever receive more. And so when I got with, when I met Mike, my that's my husband, when I met Mike, again, being intentional, I intentionally knew I'm not gonna cheat. I'm not, and this had nothing to do with what he was gonna do to me. I'm not gonna cheat. I'm gonna give this everything that I have to give to it. Um, in a healthy way. And so once I made those decisions, then I felt like I was free in it. If he would have decided to cheat on me and I would have found out, I could have walked away and said, hey, I gave it the best I had. Mm. He wasn't the one for me. Yeah. Because I had freed myself of that. I, I struggled in the beginning with trusting my decisions, not his and I, you know, I, I had to, like I said, there was, it was a, in the beginning, it was on a regular basis that it was like, okay, if somebody offers you their phone number or somebody tries to talk, you're not, you're not going to go into this like that. You're going to really see what can happen in this, because I had never been in love, like real love before mm -hmm. infatuation and, mm -hmm. 
you know, liking somebody a lot or, oh, he looks so good or, oh, he lick his lips or, you know, whatever it is that we like yeah. that's enticing to us or intriguing yeah. to us. But I had never been with anybody that really cared about who I was and how I lived and wanted to hear my thoughts. And, you know, one of the things they said this at the wedding, I don't know if you got to hear this, Lee, the pastor had said that when he asked me what made me know that Mike really loved me, he came to Portland on his birthday and my headlights, I don't even know why, like ironically, both of my headlights went out and I made an appointment to go. They were like four eighty-five each to get fixed. And so I was talking to him, but I was talking to him about like giving me the money to get the lights. fixed. And so he said, I'm gonna fix them. And I'm like, have you ever done this before? And he said, no, on his birthday, he got on the ground. And the way they had told me, we have to take the front end of the car off. He went underneath, like YouTubed it, went underneath <laughs> the car. University. Right. And and like 20 minutes later, flat, you know, lights on. And I'm like, on your birthday, on your back, on the ground for me. And then he told me when he got up, he said, as long as I'm around, you don't have to worry about anything. And when I'm not around, you don't have to worry for long. And handed me a triple A card. I know that's right. I love it. So it wasn't like, okay, a black card, yeah. but it's like, I got you. I really got you. And it was more than money. It was, it was, mm -hmm. I, I really got you. You didn't have um, the same type of experience with your first child's father? Uh, the one that passed away, uh, I guess not based on your face, <laughs> the one who passed away. No, we were young. Okay. We'll put it this way. We were young and I got pregnant mm -hmm. and, um, I moved to Seattle because that's where he was. And well, I moved there before I got pregnant. I was running from Portland. Okay. I was running from Most my house. Do. Most, <laughs> right. Most people do. Right. First thing smoking. Okay. <laughs> so I, I graduated 17 and I was out of here. And so um, we met. He was really nice to me, but I don't think we loved each other. I think we loved our daughter. And um, we were rescuing each other because he had childhood trauma. And so we were we were a safe space for each other, but there was no love and, and we didn't know how to, neither one of us were even in the process of healing. So in that, during that time, we did a lot of hurt to one another. Mm. So no, I didn't experience that. Okay. Um, what, so like, how did you, it seems like maybe you picked or mimicked the relationship that you had or witnessed with your biological father and the men that you picked early in your in your younger years. Um, do you know why, like why that was? What was it about the mm -hmm. pieces of your dad that made you want to pick men like that? And then how- Yeah, I always pick drug dealers or, or people like that because <laughs> yep, it was comfortable. Yep. <laughs> it was comfortable and it was security. Money was security to me uh -huh. because what I didn't touch on is that even though I was abused in the household, I was like that teenager that back in the, I graduated from high school in 87. So I was given like $20 a day mm. just to kind of stay out of the way. You can go to basketball games, you can do whatever you want. You have to come back home at night. 
But, you know, that was just, it was $20 on the ironing board every day for me. And so my, and then from my dad, it was, you could get whatever you want, you know, because, you know, that money is easy money. And so for, mm -hmm. to me, to <laughs> me, I was, I was familiar. My dad had schooled me on those type of men. Okay. So I knew that whole lifestyle and it was comfortable. I didn't know what to do with, with a doctor or if a, a person that sat there. I knew how to, like my dad taught me how to cut steak and this is the way a lady eat. You know, he groomed me. He groomed women. That's what he did. Yeah. And so I knew I could be in the presence of the elite, but I couldn't hold conversation. And so that would be uncomfortable for me. So to get somebody that was, when I was like 20, 21, that was in school or had been to school or that was doing something legal with their life, legitimate, I didn't even feel comfortable in that atmosphere. Mm. And even when it came to church men, I still felt I, I, I had a love for God and a respect for spirituality. So I didn't feel worthy because I knew what I was doing. Right. I was that one that would be going off to do something wrong and I would be praying saying, Lord, just let me be safe. You know, keep me, cover me while I'm here and let me make it back home safe. And I never promised God that I wasn't going to do it again. I just wanted him to cover me. God, you know my heart because you know I'm going to do this again. But just make again. sure that I'm okay right. this time so I can learn my lesson later in life. Right, right, right. I wanted to go back because you mentioned uh, with your first husband that you guys are kind of healing together or like you were surviving together right yeah um and i hear we hear a lot about people that trauma bond and they that they connect yes. over trauma why do you think people do that and what are there benefits to being with somebody who is also experiencing trauma or is that like a completely unhealthy thing it's a completely unhealthy thing it it's a it's almost like a magnet it's something in you that that recognizes something in them and i think it's it's subconscious um that you you know you just kind of gravitate to each other some kind of way and the unhealthiness in it is because especially for us because we were so young and neither one of us even knew about healing mm -hmm. we just would lay at night and talk about our hurt we could cry to each other but i wasn't comforting to him and he wasn't comforting to me it was just comfortable to be there with somebody that I could cry to right. that later would judge me and I would judge him. Damn. But in that moment, you was crying. <laughs> oh, baby. Yeah, it would be, well, it, it would be like when in our angry moments. Oh, you would use it against each other. Then I'm going to throw weaponized. up the reason that you like that because your daddy didn't do you oh. right. You know, and so then he you know, he would throw things at me. So we would throw things at each other and then come back together. Mm. And like throwing things, I mean, words. pretty much. Yeah. 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 And that was, that was because we were used to hurt. Mm. It was comfortable. It, it was, it was comfortable for us. And, and, but it was not a healing process at all. Right. It wasn't, it was very unhealthy. So on the contrary, how today does your husband um, compliment you? How does he support you? Um, and how do you support him? 
when it comes to trauma? Um, I am like probably, as you can tell, the most open book ever. So he knows we talked a lot in the beginning about um, just our lives. That was one of the things that I wanted. I wanted the truth. Like, tell me all of your low down, dirty, not as far as like women, but have you ever been to jail? Have you ever been, you know, and my story is a lot more dramatic than his. He has, you know, he has his stuff. But once we knew everything was that was out there, then I I asked more questions because I was at that point um, working with people in trauma. And so, you know, I'm asking him about his, he didn't know like really how to express what the healing process was for him. He just knew that he wanted a better life. And so he began to change and do things differently. Um, and so we're, even to this day, we're, we're just very, um, very open about the way that we feel about, I mean, when it's little things, it, we're open. I'm one that I need a, a moment. If I'm feeling away, like, give me a moment. And he's wanting to talk right now. Mm. And so we're figuring that out still, like how to, how do I get what I need and you get what you need too? So we'll meet in the middle. Like, give me five minutes. I can't just like get it out. You can't get because a in my day, mind, you can get five minutes. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, absolutely not a day. Right. We don't, no. we don't do a day. We did counseling, of course, together. And then um, we watch a lot of um, relationship um videos so um shout out to dr darius daniels oh okay i was gonna say you watch recommendations because we need some (laughs) right let me let me heal my relationship (laughs) daniels he he did this series called um relational intelligence it's a six series um uh i don't know what you would call it uh Anyway, it was a six series and it talks about the different phases of relate how to ha- how to be intelligent in the way that you deal with mm-hmm. all of your relationships, your financial relationships, your, you know, because we have a relationship with everything in life. Yeah. And yeah. so in watching that and seeing, you know, like us saying, I'm not going to be the best wife I can be and you're not going to be the best husband. I'm going to be the best person that I can be to you and you be the best person that you can be to me. So that means you're always working on yourself. I'm always working on me. And in that process, you get the best of me. I choose to only give you me. Yeah. And, and then, you know, just, I think because as women, I'll go here. Sometimes we overgive. Mm. We give, it goes back to what my dad said about being like a bank, not giving anyone anything that they're not giving you. Because even though I'm giving you the best of me, I do have an expectation. I live with expectations from people. A lot of people don't. And even that's, even if that's just to be you, mm-hmm. if you're a liar, you a liar. I expect <laughs> you to always lie to me. I know this and I expect it from you. Yes. <laughs> right. But people that I choose 
I respect my inner circle. I really call it a dot to dot. I don't really have enough to make a circle. A whole circle. But, <laughs> right. But I, the people that I choose to have in my personal space mm-hmm. have to really love me. And you have to commit to me as I'm going to commit to you. When you're hurting and when you're going through something, I may not be able to give you what you gave me, but I'm going to give you what I have to give. Mm-hmm. If that's an ear, maybe you had advice for me, but all I have is an ear for you. You know, maybe I have dinner. I can make you laugh. Some people I call on just to get a good laugh. When I'm down, it's like, okay, let me dial this number because I know in two seconds, I'm going to be on the phone laughing. That would be Lee. (laughs) Exactly. That's my laughing buddy right there. Yeah, so, so in that with him, I have expectations. I'm acting like he's next to me. I have expectations of of him and he has it of me. So his thing was when we were back to the question, when, when, when we disagree strongly, I, my mind is shut it down so that you don't say something that you've got to apologize for later. Mm. He didn't receive it like that. He received it as me using my voice as vengeance. I'm not going to talk to you. Mm. And it's like that never even crossed my mind. Mm. I was trying to stay safe, you know? But once we shared that, then it was like, okay, so now let me tell you what I'm doing. I need to, to debrief to myself. So let me just give me give me a couple minutes so that I can gather myself mm-hmm. and then we'll meet up and we'll talk. Right. And so with giving him that, he doesn't have this like she's punishing me. And then I still get my moment. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I love I'm glad that. you go. You were able to yeah. figure out each other's style of communication. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, That's it. Um, they miss that in in their relationships and discovering each other is mm-hmm. that they don't actively listen to their mm-hmm. partners mm-hmm. uh when they tell them how they prefer to communicate and it's all about how i want to be communicated to right um, right i know one of my relationships i struggled with that because um when we were disagreeing about mm-hmm. something or arguing about something yeah he wanted me to be as emotional as him in in the argument and me, I'm like, well, I don't like being yelled at. I mm-hmm. cannot hear mm-hmm. you when I feel like you are yelling at me. And even right. if you're not intending to yell at me, you are. And so I can't talk to you right now. And that would make the conversation even right. worse, boy. <laughs> I get it. And like for me, it was more like it was I'm hurting. So you're going to hurt kind of similar to how like you as a child were like, it really was. It was like, I'm hurting or I feel some kind of way. So I'm going to make sure everybody else feels what I feel mm-hmm. because then we can all feel this way together. Yeah. And it was very miserable because I'm like, a, I want everybody to be happy. And then it's like, oh, now we're all going to be sad yeah. and in and, and pain. Um, so that is dope. That kind of goes back to our season one theme of communication, communication. like being a huge thing. Um, but before we got on the call, Sherry, you held up some um, some products that you have. So in your healing journey and where you are at it life, you have now started a business, correct? Yes, I have. So tell us about your business. I have <laughs> my body butters. Hey. I have my bath foams. Oh. 
and I have various soaps. I have the charcoal soap. This soap is goat's milk. And then I have a new turmeric oh. soap by request from someone. Mike, you're making all of these products? I make all of these products. How can I... um? How can I get a couple of them uh, shipped on over to me? <laughs> the turmeric one, I love the idea behind it. And maybe you can answer this, especially since you are actually creating these. I know that ingesting turmeric really is good for inflammation. What about using it topically? Does that also help with like sore muscles and joints mm. like an Epsom salt would? What was that again that you said? So the turmeric soap that you just mentioned. The turmeric, I know yes. that when you ingest it, that it helps with inflammation when you're using it topically as a soap, does it also still absorb and provide the same benefits? It does not like it does, you know, when you ingest it okay. though, but it so does, it, it will. <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, I know that ingest. they use it for lightning, right? Like for yes. dark spots and things like that. Yes. Oh, so, I don't want that then. I we're am not lightning. I am light skin. enough. We've been told we're reflective <laughs> you know, the, today. The, the <laughs> was not my idea. The turmeric was a client wanted a turmeric soap, so I created it. Okay. My best soap. Give me that charcoal. I need some hey, color. Hey. That good old charcoal. Black face yourself <laughs> no. with some soap. <laughs> no, I just want to get a nice little tan, a little, a little toast oh going on. Oh my goodness. On. So Sherry, how it can, will how... it? Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. It will what? It detoxifies. Oh, it will. I'll yeah, it. I need to get the toxicity out of me. I yes. love that. And so how can people order if they're not where you're at? If they're not where I'm at, sncreations.biz. Okay. Okay. And that's my um that's my website. Go there and you can pick whatever you want and I may have a couple of surprises here and there like I do gift boxes at like Christmas coming up, we'll have gift boxes, Valentine's Day, have some special treats. And then I do have where you can request gift baskets in, you know, where I'll make them up with robes or whatever, you know. Um, she does a really amazing money basket. I like it's money. It's really cool. Like oh, a roll yeah. of money and it's like a big giant basket. Oh, full yeah. I'll really have to get pretty. you guys a picture out I'll of it. Yeah. I have to go to the website and check I all these products it. out. And I like that as a black woman business, we also want to support other black owned businesses. Yes. And this, yes. if you notice on our table here, we've got some beautiful purses that I get from when I go to D.C., there's a store um, that I love to go to called the Omni Collection. And it's right on 8th Street okay. to on all 8th of my Street. D.C. listeners. Yes, and you can find them also on Instagram under the Omni Collection. But they have a ton of, like, different items from different people, vendors that create these I love that. unique pieces. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I fell in love with was these clock purses that they have there. So every time I go to D.C., I'm like, I got to go get a new clock purse. And we can see so, how many times she's been to D.C. And this is all from one year, <laughs> in the past one year. year. <laughs> but Why was like I going to ask you about those? Yes. I was looking at that when he came and moved them. I thought they were clocks. And then I said, oh, they're purses. Yes. I love that. Yes, yes. So I need one. They're amazing. They're very unique. They have some amazing things in there. Um you can also get uh, incense. Incense. We've yeah. got some the the, the coal incense mm -hmm. incenses. 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 <laughs> but there's a, a lot of great things. The um the young lady who runs the shop, I think her name is Toast, uh -huh. which is she's a really amazing. And they do uh aerial pole dancing and yes. ring classes where you can oh, do right. those. Check them out on Instagram. Yes. Yeah, so go to the Omni Collection. You can find all their stuff there. And we're gonna go to sncreations.biz to order some soaps. 
I love her her foams and mm. the body butters. They're my favorite. And we might have some things in the works for Dirty Roses yes. um, that you have to keep a lookout for. But Miss uh, Miss Sherry, where can where can they find you personally? They can find me personally. You can um, email me at Sherlyn.Nichelle, S-H-E-R-L-Y-N dot N-I-C-H-E-L-L-E at gmail.com. And that's how you can get in touch with me for whether that be for life coaching or you just want to email me about some products. I also have a, um, I don't think you know about this one, Lee. I have a, um, we have a, Mike and I are doing a uh, nonprofit. We started up. Started up, I mean, like just recently started up a nonprofit where we're helping underprivileged youth and not just like under 18, but like 25 and under where we're doing a reentry program. So people that are um, getting released from prison, helping them get reacclimated into society. He um, right now he gives his uh, Mondays to group homes where I do workshops. And he goes in and he gives free haircuts Aww. to the youth in the in the um, in the group homes. So we've got some great stuff coming. Oh, we I love it. With, well, we will yeah. share your contact information. Nick B, where can people find you? So I can be found on all Dirty Roses uh, outlets. May that be our Instagram, our TikTok, mm-hmm. our Twitter, our Facebook pages, and mm-hmm. I can be reached personally on Instagram at Nick B underscore Nick B. That's Nick with a K. Yeah. So, Miss Lee Larie, where can we find you? You can find me everywhere. I say that every time, everywhere. <laughs> um, on all social media platforms, mm-hmm. L-E-I-G-H-L-A-R-I-E. That's Lee Larie. Um, of course, Dirty Roses Podcast on all platforms and DirtyRosesPodcast.com, mm-hmm. where we post all of the links to all of the websites that our podcast is on. You can watch the videos and Leave us a review, and if you want to be a sponsor or get some ads in our show, hit us up there, too. But we you can also reach us next time. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk soon. Thank you, Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. Guess what, Rose Buddies? We are thrilled to introduce our new sponsorship packages. Be sure to hit us up at DirtyRosesPodcast.com to inquire how we can showcase your brand on our platforms.